Well, good morning. We doing all right out there? Yeah, we ready? We excited? Well, good. We're in the Beatitudes. So we are in, um, we're picking right back up where you guys have been, um, have been going through. And so we are in arguably, if not actually, the most famous sermon that's ever been spoken. This is the Sermon on the Mount and arguably the most popular and famous portion of the most famous sermon that's ever been written or spoken. So we're, we're in a good place today. Um, this is number seven, Beatitude number seven. Um, this is what we're going to look at today, and I'll read it for you real quickly here. Matthew 5, verse 9, it says, Jesus sits down with his disciples. He's going through these Beatitudes. You've already looked at the first six, and this is what he says this morning to us. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. About a year ago, I was standing in my garage, and I had just finished doing um, a lot of yard work. I was mowing the grass, and I was kind of putting my tools up in my garage, and I had I had my, um, my three-year-old and my five-year-old sitting next to me. They were playing in the garage with me, and out of the corner of my eye, kind of in my peripheral vision, I realized that my next-door neighbor was making his way into my garage. And this was unusual because my next-door neighbor and I were not very close. We're cordial and cool and friendly, um, but we haven't really had the opportunity to get to know each other. And we didn't, you know, he's kind of an introverted guy, and so we never really got a chance to meet each other and know each other very well. And so it was very unusual for my next door neighbor to walk directly into my garage. This was unusual behavior. And my next door neighbor looked at me and I could tell he was a little bit upset. He handed me a golf ball and I received it. And he looked at me and, and fairly assertively looked at me to tell he was a little bit upset. And he, all he said was, do not hit golf balls into my backyard ever again. <laughs> then he walked away. It was a very tense environment in our garage that day. My boys were a little freaked out. We all kind of stopped and, and, and looked at what had just happened and my next door neighbor walked away and as I started processing this event, I realized that my next door neighbor had got it all wrong. I had not chipped, I do like to chip golf balls in my backyard, but I never, I hadn't chipped a golf ball over my fence into, into his backyard. What had actually happened is his dogs, who are fairly aggressive, were poking holes Underneath my fence, kind of where the fence and the ground came together, they were poking holes pretty aggressive um, where my fence was. And my boys, my three and my five-year-old, were taking their toys and, and golf balls and things like that and sliding it under the fence into his backyard. Well, I just couldn't let that go. So after simmering on this for a little while, I went back to my neighbor's house later that day, and now I'm worked up. I'm frustrated. I'm irritated because he had misdiagnosed the problem. He had blamed me for something that I didn't do. Evidently, he thought I was a bad golfer. I'm not a bad, I'm a pretty good golfer. I don't miss chips that much. And so I went over to my next door neighbor's house and it was my turn to help him understand what had actually happened and to get him to see the truth. Well, we stood there in the middle of our two houses and we argued for a, a pretty good while. I wouldn't use the word yell, but it was a very tense 
argument between my next door neighbor and I was intense enough that his wife came out and started trying to function as the mediator. And so what happened in that environment is my neighbor and I both had our little tiny kingdoms rocked that day. And because our kingdoms were both rocked, conflict began to happen. My friends, you and I, because we are born into an environment where sin exists, we are absolutely born into an environment where conflict will exist. That's just part of being in the fallen world. And so I want to talk about sin and conflict and really the path of peacemaking. And so Jesus opens up to us and says, hey, there's going to be conflict. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I want to look at this passage and make three observations, but I want to start in reverse order and look at that last one at the end of the passage. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Before you understand how to be a peacemaker with your neighbor or your wife or your coworker or all the relationships that you, that you have in your life, all the people that you interact with in life, before you understand how to be a peacemaker in your everyday life, you have to first recognize your status as son or daughter before God in the great kingdom of God. So you're endowed with the same title as son that Jesus Christ has. You're the same status in his kingdom. Let me explain. God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2 with perfect peace in mind. It's, it's, what, it's what the ancient writers call shalom. When we think about perfect peace in the world, a lot of us typically think about macro-level events, right? I mean, we think, no wars and no major quarrels and no major fights and no major arguments. But God in Genesis 1 and 2, it was so peaceful. It was in such a perfect state of shalom that even the little micro moments of, of internal war that happened inside of us, not even those types of things existed. So if you were to walk by somebody and make eye contact with somebody and then walk past them and then think, maybe it happened this morning, I wonder what that person thought about me, or I don't really like the way that person looked at me, or I wonder if that person likes me. Even those little micro moments where, where peace does not exist inside of you did not exist when God created the world. That's how he created. He created perfect peace all the time. Everything was working the way it was designed to work, both externally and on a macro level. No wars, no fighting, no conflict, but also the little things that happen inside of us. Not even those sort of moments of failures or fractures of peace exist. It was just perfect peace. Perfect peace. And then Genesis 3 happened and sin entered into the world and sin began to stretch its way into everybody's life. And sin was so pervasive and it, and it ran so deep and it created such destruction and corruption that in just one chapter after Genesis 3, Genesis 4, we have sibling rivalry that led to hate, jealousy, envy, and ultimately sibling murdering another sibling. That's how fast sin exists. And watch this, that's how fast conflict comes. It's just everywhere now. And so we've got God who created this great world perfectly. And then we have sin entering into the world and subsequently now there is conflict everywhere, but it's not just conflict between man and man. 
According to the Bible, there's also a conflict between man and God. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, 19, that we are born enemies of God because sin has existed and spread to all mankind, even to you and I. The Bible says that we are actually born enemies of God. Isaiah 59, 2 says that we are born apart from God, alienated from God. How can sinful people be around a holy and perfect God? The reality is we cannot We can't. Ephesians 2, verse 3, the very, very terrifying passage says that we are born children of wrath on our own terms, in our own way, because sin has entered into our life, subsequently conflict between man and man, and ultimately conflict between God and man. The Bible, Paul is content to say that we are born children of God's wrath. So the Bible's main plot line is what is God going to do, if anything, to make peace with man? That is the reason the entire Bible is written. It is trying to resolve this very real tension. How does a perfect and holy God make peace with sinful man, or does he? That's the whole plot line of the Bible. And and really, you could say that God has three options on how to resolve this tension. What does God do with sin? And what does God do with his justice? And how does God pour out and resolve this wrath that's supposed to go to man for their sin? And option number one is he could enact swift, on-the-spot punishment for our sins, where Right when we sin, according to the Bible, one time falling short of God's law, one time is enough for God to put each of us in hell apart from him for an eternity. That's how holy God is. Let that that just simmer in your brain for a second. I mean, that's a level of holiness that's unbelievable. Just one ounce of sin in our life is enough for God to justifiably put himself apart from him in eternity, in hell, for eternity. It can happen swiftly, immediately, right now. It would be just for God to choose option one. Thankfully, he doesn't choose option one, so we can all kind of breathe a good sigh of relief here because that's not the choice that he chooses. The other option that God has is he could just prolong the punishment, right? I mean, rather than swift, immediate punishment for sin, he could say, I'm just going to let you live your life, humans. I'm going to let you build your kingdom, your little earthly kingdoms. And I'm going to let you fight and bicker and have all this conflict on earth. And I'm, then when you die, then I'm going to punish and pour out my wrath on you as a child of wrath in hell. And you'll be apart from me for eternity. That's prolonged punishment. Well, once again, thankfully, that's not the choice that God makes. Here's what God does. The God of peace who created the world in absolute shalom peace decides to send his son, the prince of peace, into the world to live a perfectly full of peace and shalom life in the midst of a fallen, chaotic, and conflict-oriented world, and then die a wrath-absorbing death for our sins. 
Jesus Christ, follow me here, who is the Prince of Peace, walked on this planet as fallen and corrupted and defiled as it is. Jesus Christ was receiving conflict constantly from other people. He was maligned, he was persecuted, ostracized, all of that while walking on planet earth and he maintained an inner heart of perfect peace even as people were waging wars against him. Just maintained an attitude and a posture and a heart of shalom and peace before God and before man even in the midst of a fallen world. It's fascinating. And then he died a wrath-absorbing death where for those who believe and have faith in Christ, the wrath that's supposed to go to you as a child of wrath is taken off of you and placed onto Jesus Christ so that now God can look at you and I and say, you are in my kingdom. I don't discount, I don't credit those sins against you. I don't look at those sins anymore that you've had. All of the sins that you've committed all of the sins that you're actively committing and all of your future sins that you will commit according to the Bible have already been paid for by Christ and it's because God, Jesus, brings us peace with God, right? You can't have peace and be a peacemaker in your life with other people unless you're first at peace with God. In 1 Peter 3, 18, great verse, it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he do all that? How do we resolve this conflict? How, does, how do we become right with God? And how is God made right with us that he might bring us to God? The reason Christ died and went through all that was primarily so he could restore peace between God and man being put to the death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is what empowers peacemaking in life. This is what energizes peacemaking. In other words, you cannot be a peacemaker with respect to people around you until you first understand who you are as a son of God who you are as a child of God, that you don't primarily live first for your own little earthly kingdom, but now as a child of God, you're in a whole different kingdom, a kingdom that's much more glorious, much more powerful, much bigger, much more magnificent. That is the, the power of peacemaking. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You can't be a peacemaker unless you're a son of God. So are you right with God? Are you a son of God? Have you had peace with God? It's the most important question you can ask. The, the most important question in your life is, are you right with God? Before we talk about peace with others, are you at peace with a holy God? So now, let's turn to the process of peacemaking. We looked at the power of peacemaking. What, do we, what energizes and fuels Christians to create and keep and make peace with people around them? The answer is it's being a part of the kingdom of God and being a son of God. 
when the dust settled with my neighbor and I, and we calmed down, a couple of days later, we talked. So we, had, we left it very tense. That day, very tense day, we both walked away, still pretty angry. The dust settled a little bit, and we started to talk. You want to know what I found out about my neighbor? You want to know why my neighbor was so irritated at this scenario? It's because my neighbor has a two-year-old granddaughter who runs around in their backyard. And one day, he was mowing his grass in the backyard, and he ran over a golf ball that had been pushed under the fence. And the golf ball flew out from underneath the lawnmower, didn't hit anybody, but it just flew out from underneath the lawnmower. And he was nervous that if there are golf balls in his yard that he doesn't know about, that it could potentially launch out of his lawnmower and hit his granddaughter. You want to know, after the dust settled, why I was so irritated with my neighbor? I was irritated with my neighbor, not because he was wrong in his diagnosis of the problem, not because he came at me in my garage one day fairly tense. I was frustrated with my neighbor because I have an inner level of anxiety every time my kids are playing in my backyard that they're Vicious dogs are going to break through my $4 rotting fence that separates our house, and they're going to injure our children. And we joke about it, but I'll be honest with you, that's a real inner anxiety that exists. And I'm thinking, this is my house, you know? In this scenario, my little kingdom is my backyard where my boys get to play, and I want it to be awesome and fun and great, and I don't want there to be any fear of, of injury or anything like that. And so when their dogs are kind, of, are kind of, you know, functioning as a disruptor to my little kingdom, my reaction to that is to be angry and confrontational. And my neighbor is the same exact way. He wants the same thing. His little king in his backyard, he wants his grandchild to be safe. He doesn't want any fear or threat of violence or injury or anything like that. We found out we were both mad for the same reason. <laughs> we laughed about it. It was great. And in my scenario, in this scenario for me, I am what you would call, and my neighbor is what you would call a peace breaker. We were breaking peace. What happens when somebody comes at you and your little kingdom that you've built for yourself and when someone comes at you or when events come at you that function as disruptors of your little, tiny, me-centered, self-centered, earthly kingdom? Well, for some of us, we're what's called a peace breaker. And those folks, including me, I'm in this category, tend to get really agitated, angry, confrontational, irritated. We tend to lash out because we want to protect our little safe, earthly, me-centered kingdom. But what happens when something in your kingdom, something begins to threaten your kingdom of peace, but you don't like the conflict? You want to avoid the conflict. What happens when you're afraid of conflict? We would call those folks peace fakers. We've got peace breaker who gets agitated and angry and lashes out. We've got another category of person called the peace faker. And these people tend to be really afraid of conflict. They tend to not recognize that conflict is inevitable in life, that part of living on planet Earth right now where there is sin exists that all in all, in all of us, part of living in, on the world now is that there will be conflict. 
these folks tend to have peace as an idol. Like you ever met the person that's like, man, I just want everybody to be happy. I just want everybody to get along. I just want everybody to love each other. And when all of a sudden conflict breaks out and it threatens this peace idol, this kingdom of peace that we built for ourselves, this person gets, this person gets anxious, worried, nervous, petrified of conflict. You know, the wife in the story, this is interesting, when, when my neighbor and I were, were arguing and bickering and, and, you know, angry at each other, the wife came out and she stood kind of in between us and she kept saying things like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is going on. Man, I just want this to be over. I just want this to happen. And she kind of referenced like past events, like I can't believe this is happening again. It's like you just, ha- in fact, I'll even tell you this. I probably shouldn't say this in church, but she actually threatened to call the cops on me and her husband. Not because we were so violent. It's because she just wanted it to be over. She just didn't want it to be, she just didn't want conflict in her life. So we got peace breakers, we've got peace fakers, and then we've got the peacemaker. Jesus does not say, blessed are the peace breakers who are constantly bowing up, constantly aggressive. He doesn't say, blessed are the peace fakers who are, who are constantly removing themselves from conflict and avoiding conflict and petrifies. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. And peacemaker, it assumes that there's conflict, right? I mean, literally, the definition of peace, the the literal word in this passage means to endeavor to reconcile when there are disagreements or when there is discord. You know what that means? You can't actively be a peacemaker without realizing first that conflict is just inevitable. That's just the way it is. In the ancient world, peacemakers was an official title given to people. And typically, the peacemaker, they were kings and rulers, and they were people in positions of power. They were given authority. This is literally what it means. They were given authority by a higher power, and they, the higher power looked at the peacemaker and said, I want you to use the authority that I've given to you, peacemaker, to anticipate when discord may be kind of go off or when wars may come, I want you, peacemaker, to use the power that I'm giving to you to resolve whatever needs to be resolved to keep the peace. So a lot of kings and governors and rulers of various cities and provinces and countries, they were not just charged with ruling their, their prospective places, they were also charged with keeping the peace. And they were given this authority by a higher authority, given power to do so by a higher power. This is the same thing that happens when we become Christians. We're now entered into a new kingdom. We're now a part of a higher calling. We no longer have to fight and operate out of our own little tiny earthly kingdoms anymore. But because we're now a part of this high kingdom of God, we can take our our new identity as sons of God and begin to proactively be peacemakers. 
we don't have to fight. We don't have to feel compelled for our own way and to build our own kingdom and to get the most out of this world. Remember, when you became a Christian, your kingdom went away. Your little earthly tiny kingdom that you want so badly to build is put to death and you're part of a larger kingdom now. And so now as a Christian, we don't have to fight for our little kingdoms because we're a part of a much bigger kingdom. And that's the process of peacemaking. You cannot be a great peacemaker until you realize that you are first a part of a bigger kingdom. If you don't recognize who you are in Christ and you can't therefore be a peacemaker, you'll always be peace-breaking or peace-faking. You'll always be living out of one of those two kingdoms. So there's a much better kingdom to live in. And as a result, listen to these, you no, lo- you no longer have to worry about your little kingdom anymore when you're ushered into a new kingdom. As a result, you're upward focused on God and his kingdom and you're outward focused on others. See, before we become a Christian, what sin does to you, man, it turns you radically inward. That's what sin does to all of us. Sin reduces your life to a little kingdom. I mean, think about how small your life is when compared to God's eternal and magnificent. I mean, it's just not a big deal. The things we care so much about, they're just not that big of a deal when we put them in light of eternity. When we lay before our kingdom, the great, wondrous kingdom of God, how big and cool and awesome do our kingdoms actually look? They look thumbs down. And that's what sin does, turns us radically inward and it it reduces our lives to to our kingdom. And when you become a part of God's kingdom, you no longer have to view everything inward. you're, You're grown out of functioning so inwardly and you can focus upward on God and worship and outward on other people. And it doesn't matter what other people do because it's not about your kingdom anymore. It's about God's kingdom. You no longer, watch this one, you no longer view people and events as they relate to your kingdom. Like how many of us operate every day? We get up and we just go about our day operating, looking at all the people and events that are coming to us every day and thinking, how are they going to affect my kingdom? Are they gonna make my life harder or are they gonna make my life easier? Is this event gonna make my life harder or is this event gonna make my life easier? I mean, so much of us, so many of us spend all of our days looking at all the people and events around us thinking, how will it affect my kingdom? And if it's a disruption to my kingdom, I'm either going to fight you or I'm going to be passive aggressive and pretend like everything's fine when it's not. Neither are the right way. When you become a kingdom of God, You no longer view people and events as it relates to or affects your kingdom. You expect conflict because you know sin exists in you and also in those around you. You're also filled with hope that one day there will be perfect peace in heaven. Your hope isn't on earth anymore. Like our little kingdom, man, I just want everyone to love each other and be happy. And you put all your hope in that little scenario. You realize when you're in God's kingdom, man, you lower your expectations for planet earth. Let me tell you, that's okay sometimes. Like earth is broken. People are wicked. We are all sinful. 
It's going to sting. It's going to be difficult. Our hope is not in our kingdom, in our world. It's in an eternal kingdom, in a heaven. One day you will walk in, for those of you who are fearful of conflict and hate it, and you want everybody to be happy and everybody to be at peace, guess what? It ain't gonna happen here, but it's going to happen in heaven. You're gonna walk in one day and we're gonna see Jesus face to face and the way God created the world with perfect peace is gonna be immediately restored. You're not gonna have any sense of conflict or sin at all. But the issue is we gotta place our hope in the right kingdom, not in our kingdom. You're empowered to be a peacemaker to those around you. As a result of all of that, you don't angrily break the peace when someone invades your kingdom. You don't fearfully run away from confrontation, but you can genuinely be a peacemaker because you're a son of God in a new kingdom, not warring and waging against your kingdom, don't care about your kingdom. Now you can genuinely and proactively be a peacemaker. And the most important thing before I close up is you can confess and repent when you fall short of all of this. Like, give yourself some freedom, man. Like, I just told you, if you walked in and thought, man, I feel like I'm a really bad person in a church right now. Well, the person delivering the Bible to you this morning totally chewed out his neighbor. And it wasn't like years ago. Like, I can't say when I was a Christian five years ago, you know, it was like six months ago, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, there's freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you fail at this, when you lose your cool on your neighbor or your wife or your husband or your coworker, you can genuinely come before Jesus Christ, confess and repent of your sin, receive the grace that is absolutely for you, and then also confess and repent to your neighbor. That's an active, regular, should be normal part of the Christian life. For those of you who are petrified and worried by fear or by conflict and you live in fear and worry and anxiety because you don't want any conflict, I'd invite you, my friend. You know what? That right there is, in a way, falling short. You're not being the peacemaker that God has created you to be. When you look at conflict in your life and you think, I don't even want to go there, you're actually doing yourself a disfavor you're neglecting spiritual growth. For You're not designed to just say, well, I'm just going to bury my head in the sand and pretend conflict. You're designed to be a peacemaker. So wherever you fall short in the room, you get the grace of Christ and you can confess and repent. All that should be a normal part of our lives. And I want to close by saying the result of peacemaking. What is the result? What's the end result of peacemaking? You know, when, when after my neighbor and I got in that feud, before we reconciled, I went home that day. You want to know my immediate response to my neighbor and I's, to my conversation with my neighbor? My first response, just immediately, I was walking away. I remember this. I thought, you know what? I just won that argument. And it felt good for just a moment. I said, I just made him feel bad. And I even rehearsed specific lines that I said. I said, when I said that, ooh, I articulated that point so well. I made him feel dumb. I won the argument. Look how great I am. But you want to know what that soon led to? I was miserable the following few days. I was miserable. I was horrified 
at how much I fought for my little tiny kingdom. I was horrified at the level of anger that came erupting out of me. I was horrified that I treated somebody so poorly and I was absolutely miserable for the following few days. When you fight for your little kingdom, whether you're a peace breaker or a peace faker, the end result in that king in those two kingdoms, you will be miserable. If you're fighting for your way, if everyone around you is seen as enemies to your little tiny kingdom, you are going to spend your life waging war on other people, and you're going to have little moments where you're like, oh, this feels good. But then it's going to lead to, like I'm betting, you might not realize it yet, but if that's you, you're actually miserable deep down inside. And like for those of us who are not fighting, who are not peace breakers, but the peace fakers, you know, where you're like, oh man, I want so badly for everybody to like each other. And for there to be no conflict. And then you realize you're in planet Earth, man. That is part of living. You are going to have conflict. And then you're like, I just don't want to deal with it. But then it gets worse and it doesn't get better. And and, in reality is deep down inside, you're probably miserable too. But Jesus says, watch this. Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers, filled with joy. Literally, the idea of blessed, the word means filled with joy, are those who are proactively using their kingdom status to create and keep and work for peace around them proactively looking at people where there's conflict and dissensions and discords and misalignments when we're using our kingdom status to genuinely proactively create and keep and maintain peace. Jesus says, blessed are you, happy are you, satisfied on a soul level are you. This is another instance in the Beatitudes where all of humanity is running one direction, All of humanity says this, and Jesus says, no, 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 it's not that. It's the complete opposite, actually. (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. That was the first two Beatitudes, poor in spirit and mourn. How many natural people apart from Christ think, you know what I want to do today to be happy? I want to be poor in spirit, and I want to mourn. Nobody does that. But Jesus comes to us in the Beatitudes, and he changes, not just slight adjustment, he says, I'm doing things the opposite. He said, your world right now, human beings, natural human beings apart from Christ, they're going to fight for their kingdom or they're going to be shocked when they don't get their kingdom and and they have all this conflict. They're going to be devastated and humiliated and filled with anxiety. That's how the world operates. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let me tell you, joy happens when you are a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and God, sons and daughters of God. That is where deep soul-level joy happens. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to just open up your Bible to talk about it. And Father, we uh, we do thank you for Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, coming down into our world. We thank you, Father, that you did not choose options one or two, where you just wipe us off the 
face of the earth and put us in a scenario where we're apart from you for eternity and you don't prolong our punishment in, in, in a lot of cases, but right now we can have faith in Christ, we can become a member of God's kingdom, we can be called a son and a daughter of God, and we can, uh, we can know you as Father. And subsequently, we can lose this sort of anxiety to have to build up our little kingdoms. And God, I pray that we'd be so in awe of your kingdom, so so in awe of who you are as God that we wouldn't feel compelled to have to build up our kingdom. God, we, we thank you for Jesus Christ that he didn't just come to planet earth and do a quick death on the cross, but he actually lived a life of 33 years and right at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus took the time. Jesus, who's the Prince of Peace, who is, sits on a throne all day long and is worshiped by angels who are glorious and mighty and Jesus, that same Jesus, took some time one day and said, I want to teach disciples what it means to live in the kingdom of God, and we get the Sermon on the Mount. We get the Beatitudes. We get to know what life is like in your kingdom. And for the specific one of peacemaking today, I pray that myself, my brothers, my sisters in the room who are in conflict, that we would understand what it looks like and have the courage and the, the power to be peacemakers that we'd be proactively creating and making and keeping peace, knowing that it's never going to be perfect. We recognize what Paul says in Romans, that as far, so far as it depends on us, that we live at peace with everybody. That's a great perspective to have. As far as it depends on me, am I doing everything I know to do to keep peace with people around me? I pray that would be the heart disposition of the folks in this room and for myself. And we give you all the glory and praise. It's in your son's name.